Welcome to Culture Happens, HubSpot's podcast all about the future of work and company culture. This episode was originally featured as part of HubSpot's Adapt 2020 education series. What's that, you may ask? It's a weekly series sharing advice on a number of topics across sales, marketing, and services to help businesses build a strategy for today's unique situation and tomorrow's new economy. Let's listen in as HubSpot's Chief People Officer talks through how to support employees during challenging times. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our first ever uh, discussion that moves Adapt 2020's weekly webinars into a different category altogether. So usually we are talking about marketing and sales and services and strategy and growth, and today we're talking about human beings. Uh, and I am delighted to do so with two illustrious panelists, uh, Khalil and Diane, who I will introduce in a moment. I don't think we can talk about human beings today without acknowledging the heaviness in the world and specifically the racial injustice happening in America. So we here at HubSpot, along with my fellow panelists, stand in solidarity with the Black community and just want to make sure we know we thought a lot about whether or not we should hold this webinar or not. And what we decided was it's more important than ever to talk about how we support employees at this critical time. So without further ado, we had planned to talk about how we would support uh, employees during COVID-19. But the universe had other plans. We're going to talk about how we're going to support employees through COVID-19, but we're also going to talk a lot about how you touch upon touchy subjects, how you support people when they need it most, how you build inclusive cultures. And to do that, I have two wonderful people alongside with me. So I want to introduce you briefly to two people I really love and admire. Uh, Diane Marinovich is the head of talent at Loom, which is an amazing video platform that you should use. If you don't already, we are proud users. Uh, she's the head of talent there. So thanks for being with us, Diane. And Khalil Smith is an old friend and he runs, uh, the v he's the VP of consulting at Neuro Leadership Institute. I cannot mess it, I cannot recommend not only his work, but also their work. NLI is doing just incredible work to build inclusive cultures around the world. We are very proud to partner with them. We are very proud to know them and to support them. So I wanna thank you both for being here today with us. Thank you for thank having you, Katie. us. Uh, check them both out, follow them on social and also follow their respective orgs. They are just wonderful. Uh, so we are really, really, really lucky to have them both with here, here with us today. Uh, so if it's okay, I'm gonna jump in to the questions. To start this off, I just wanna say, how are you doing and how have the shifts in the way that you work impacted you and your respective teams? So Diane, you wanna start us off? Sure, thank you for asking. I'm doing well uh, and really just to kind of dive right into your question around, you know, how have shifts sort of happened in the workplace? Uh, I think Loom is in a really interesting position here just because even before all this happened, we actually set the foundation early on that we are a company that values having a remote first culture. So we are pretty fortunate that Loom was already set up in a way where this wasn't too big of a shift for us. Uh, but that being said, we are growing actively. And, and so that creates its own sort of operational challenges, right? So just meaning that, you know, what works at 20 employees probably isn't going to work at 80 employees, which is where we're at right now, which isn't going to work at, you know, 100 plus and so on and so forth. So uh, we need to be mindful and, and uh, know that we are helping to set the standards for the future of work, which, you know, is, is shifting to remote first. Um, so a big one for us, I would say, though, as far as the challenges, is that we also have had to shift, you know, 100% of our interviews to being fully remote. Um, just for context, you know, on, you know, our current kind of Loom employee population, uh, about 50% of our workforce was remote before COVID-19 hit. 
So now that everyone is 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 remote at this point, uh, that also entails that we have to shift all of our interviews to being virtual. And so there are things that come along with that, right? Like you have to make sure you've got the right tools in place. You've got to make sure that you are training up your team, most of which are new, by the way, because like I said, we're actively hiring right now. That's a big reason why I'm here. Um, you know, we've got a new process rolling out. And so those are those are some things and some uh, areas where we're actively working on that. I think it's a really important point. And obviously Loom is fortunate, unlike so many companies right now, to be hiring and growing. But I also think yeah. it's an important point. It's not just about employees, existing employees. It's about new employees who potentially have never been to your office and about candidates as well. And I think one of the things we should potentially address is this is a different talent market than we've seen certainly in a while. And the concerns and questions that candidates are asking are certainly different than we've seen in a while. So for example, we're getting more questions than ever about how are you responding to COVID-19? Would I be able to work remotely? Um, how are you supporting mental health during this time? How has your company supported or spoken out against racial injustice? Those are things that we were not getting as much or in a significant volume before. And so I think you raise a really good point, Diane, that it's not just our existing team, it's our future team as well. Khalil, how right. about for you? How are you and your team doing at NLI? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I, I think, you know, personally, I'm doing about as well as can be expected, right? I think we're all dealing with a lot right now. And I'm very fortunate to have incredible support systems at work and at home and throughout my entire life. And so um, uh, it is absolutely an, an incredible time to kind of come together with lots of people. And um, the team, I think, is, is doing well as well, right? The, there was the challenge, exactly what you described, exactly kind of the environment of this session is, okay, we had COVID-19 and we were starting to figure out what do we do with that? And then this other really significant layer um, that for some people has always been there, but is absolutely kind of raised to a different level of awareness. And so um, we've been having lots of conversations internally and connecting as a group. We had kind of a large conversation on Monday evening that I led with our teams across all of NLI just to talk about how are people feeling and what's the experience and what can we do and how can we re respond and how can we take back some of that agency and really own the experience and contribute and take advantage of you know, any of the privilege that we all may have depending on where we live and what we do and our voices and our platforms and all of that. Um, and so I think people are in pretty different places and yet they're feeling supported and feeling connected. Um, and that has been critically important. And you know, in terms of the business side of things, and um, I don't know that what we do has ever been in more demand because people are really trying to understand, you know, kind of our, our vision, our mantra is how to make organizations more human through science. And so many organizations, to your point, Katie, are now asking the question of how do we take care of our people, both for our employees that are already here, but for the ones that are saying, well, you know, all those questions you asked are how are you going to take care of me? So before it might have been, well, what does a career path look like? How are you going to take care of me in that way? Or tell me about your vision. Now it is, how are you going to take care of me in the moment? How are you going to support me? How do I know that when I come here, I'm joining a place that cares very deeply about me? And so we're fortunate that we've been able to really dig into the science to understand that. But also one of the things that we love the most is that we're humbled to be invited into companies that have said, we care, we want to do this better and help us do this better. Help us not just kind of put the effort in, but also kind of really get the return. And you have earned that trust in spades. The reason that they are reaching out to you is because uh, you are so talented and your team is so talented. I think that is such an important conversation. I think what you said is exactly right, which is really what people are asking is, how are you going to take care of me and my family? And so one of the things that's been interesting to talk about for people is 
part of people's compensation package at this point is care. It's really care of duty. How are you stepping up for me? That kind of thing. And I think it's important to acknowledge people talk a lot about compensation and benefits. One of your benefits needs to be how you support and talk through and acknowledge hard things. And I think that's more important now than ever. I want to hear more about your Monday night conversation because I'm guessing people are going to ask how you pulled it together, what you talked about, all that kind of stuff, but we'll get there later. Before uh, we dive in, I want to get both of your best pieces of advice. I'm guessing we won't bury the lead. I just want to make sure your best piece of advice for supporting employees during this unprecedented time. It can be COVID-19 focused. It can be current racial justice in America focused, can be anything, but would love for our attendees to just get your one best piece of advice to start. So Khalil, are you okay leading us off? I am. Um, and and this will come up probably a couple different times throughout. And I think because it's my kind of one single best piece of advice, but listen, like just listen, right? You know, we, I think sometimes assume so much. We think that our point of view is others' points of view. We think we know how people are experiencing the world. We think that we know that they're struggling at home because they may have young children, or we think we know that they're absolutely fine because they live by themselves or any of those things. And the best thing that we can do is ask, ask just open questions. Um, and you'll hear me use the term quite a bit. We've been talking about it and thinking about it, but listen deeply, right? Listen to understand, not to respond, not to do anything with it, but just to kind of see where people are. Um, and then you can start thinking about what can you do and where can you go and how do we get back to some of the other things. But um, if we don't feel heard, then the rest of it falls apart very, very quickly. So again, you'll hear me say it lots and lots of times, but this idea of listening deeply, I think is critical right now. I think it bears repeating and is totally worth it. So that's great. Thank you, Khalil. How about you, Diane? Yeah, absolutely agree with Khalil. Um, that's so important right now. And uh, I think just to kind of add on to that is just essentially have empathy and you know flexibility for everyone right now, you know, inside and outside of your workplace. Um, the current, you know, macroeconomic environment with COVID-19, with the racial injustices, I mean, this is affecting every single person and it is affecting everyone in a different way. And these are really, truly unprecedented times, right? Like no one has a playbook. No one has seen this before. Um, so be really understanding of that. Offer, you know, a helping hand on things potentially outside of your scope or, or even outside of your comfort zone, right? Um, take, you know, some examples, take time to personally onboard a new team member, like schedule that Zoom one-on-one -on -one yourself, even if, you know, you don't have a process just yet, right? We're, you know, we're at an early stage company, so there might not be, again, a playbook. And so just take that time. If you're going to be working with this person cross-functionally often, uh, get to know people. Um, another big one, we, we touched on this a bit, just kind of with the current talent market, like a lot of people have been affected by layoffs recently and that's tough. And so, you know, if you know someone that has been affected, you know, support that person by, you know, introducing them to others in your network or making a personal recommendation or shout out on LinkedIn, those sorts of things go a long way. I think that's uh, such an important reminder for us. I would just add to the conversation that one of the big ones for us has been be visible and be accessible. And so I think, to be honest, there's a tendency, especially when things are crazy, to put your head down and work. And I think when fear is in the equation, and by fear, I mean fear of a global pandemic, fear of what's happening in our neighborhoods, uh, fear of not knowing the right thing to do or say, for example, 
people need to hear and see from and be listened to, as Khalil mentioned, leaders more than ever. And so what I encourage people to do is we set very early on, we did more, we do an executive AMA every week. We did a mini company meeting the next week. And, you know, don't get me wrong. They have not been perfectly produced. Let me just say there's some awkwardness. You're obviously in my kitchen right now. Um, so it doesn't look perfect, but that's okay. And I think if anything, people appreciate the humanity, they'd rather us be visible and accessible than wonder what we're up to, what decisions we're making, how we're doing them. So one of the things we've actually done has been more visible to say, here's what we're thinking. We don't have a perfect return to work program yet, but here are some of the considerations we're sharing just so people don't assume the worst because they're not seeing us in the hallway and listening to us and that sort of thing. And so I think the visibility thing is, is a big one too. Um, this is a time when frameworks, I think, come to mind. So one of the things that people always ask is like, okay, listening is great, um, doing nice things is great, but what's the framework for how you make decisions to support employees? Who do you listen to, how, and then how do you communicate on this stuff? Do you have any advice for thinking through the structural elements of how people should approach this challenge or problem? Khalil, I'll start with you again, if that's okay. Yeah, I mean, um, so it is, it's interesting because there's something that we use quite often. And for anybody that follows Neuroleadership Institute, it is less of a kind of one, two, three, four, um, and more something that we've talked about. It's called SCARF. So I'll explain it very, very briefly, but it is all about the kind of social domains of threat and reward. How do you help people feel heard, feel connected? And so it's status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Um, and Katie, to your point, like this idea, and I, I've talked quite a bit internally, and this is by no means our more scientific language, this is Khalil language, um, where I've said embrace the clumsy conversation. And what you're talking about in terms of, listen, we don't have it all down, we don't have all the right answers, but we just want to get in there and talk with you. And there is something that happens at times like this, where sometimes we believe silence is safety. And so I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to accidentally, you know, look as if I'm being insensitive. And so instead of asking or having that conversation or offering to be a partner, as Diane said, I'll just kind of go back to my safe space. I'll, you know, kind of close off to people. Um, and so SCARF, even though it's not a do this, then do this, then do that, because what we're talking about is all about people and all about connectedness and all about making sure that people feel respected and valued and heard, um, there are these things that you can do. So again, something around certainty is to say, listen, we can't include everyone in every conversation as much as we would love to. Here's where we are. Here's where we're going to be going. Here's when you'll hear about it again. And while I may not quite feel that that's fair because I would have loved to be involved, at least I know what's going on. I have that certainty. And so for me as a leader, whether it's work that I'm doing at work, honestly, it's even stuff that I use with my two boys at home. Um, it's stuff I use with my clients is to better understand how is my communication, how are my actions either creating rewards in these places where people feel like their status has been lifted, that the process has been fair, that the relatedness is high, so they feel like they're a part of the in-group or other things that I'm doing either intentionally or unintentionally that are eroding some of that trust and that kind of, that, that connection. Um, and so I have found it to be immensely valuable. And again, both in terms of the way that I engage with others, but also in terms of how I, how I show up as a leader. Because if I'm paying attention to my own needs and my own relatedness and, you know, do I feel like I'm a part of my team and, you know, do I feel like things are fair and how much media am I consuming and all of those things, they, they affect the way that I can show up as a leader. Um, and people, for better or worse, are really looking to their leaders now more than ever. And so we do need to take care of ourselves in order to be able to take care of others. 
Um, and so SCARF is absolutely, it's been super helpful. And again, we've written about it a ton and put it out a ton. And to your point, like I think that has been one of the things that we've done that has been most helpful for organizations and for people is to help them understand here's how you can connect with others in a really simple and easy to understand framework that just gets out of, do you feel good or not? But rather, how do we break some of that down? What is actually going on that leads people to feel included or not? I love that. And I think the SCARF model is so valuable. And I really love what you said about taking care of yourself before you take care of others. A quick question for you. One thing I could see people asking and people can continue to ask questions on the chat. We'll get to as many of them as we can shortly. Um, but is people might look at this and say, Khalil is an established practitioner. He's been a leader at Apple and NLI. He does this for a living, right? He's a true pro. And sure, clumsy conversations are fine if it's awkward about you and I talking about, you know, living in my, or working from my kitchen. But when it comes to topics like race or global pandemic, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a racial expert. What advice would you have to someone who's thinking, who's sitting here listening with the best of intentions and is like, yep, but Khalil's a pro. What can I as a near mortal do? Well, first and foremost, thank you to all of you out there who consider me a pro. Um, those are those status rewards that we were talking about. Um, but, but honestly, I mean, these are things that, A, I'm not a pro at, at a lot of these. I'm not a medical expert. I have never experienced, Diane said it before, none of us have a playbook for what we're doing right now. I have never had to talk to people about how they show up after having just watched a horrific video um, and having some of my people say, I don't know that I can work today. Um, and, and I don't have a great answer for that. Do I say, okay, no problem, take the day off. And then someone else says, well, wait a second, because I'm not affected, I come in, but this person is taking the day off. What about our clients? And so the, the clumsiness of it is to say, when we avoid these things, we do more damage to the relationships and more damage to the transparency. So it's not to be clumsy in terms of putting things out there that you don't know anything about. It's exactly what you were describing, Katie, which is to say, up until now, maybe we've tried to be so polished and so dialed in and so professional that we've looked at you know, what people see right now and said, well, if I can't have that conversation like Khalil, then I'm not going to have it at all. And I know you said you want to talk about it. That Monday conversation that we had, I was crying. I was blubbering. I was trying to figure out what I needed to say. And the humanity of that was part of what people connected with. If I had known exactly what I wanted to say and read it from a, a, a you know, manifesto and said, here's exactly what we all need to be doing, now go off and do, everyone, that is the wrong place to be. And so we're all professionals in the ways I think that really matter, which is connecting with one another. And that's the thing that we're all kind of hungering for right now is be authentic, be human, shoot that video on an iPhone, let me into your kitchen, you know, have your children running around in the background because it's their home too. When your cat jumps up on your keyboard, like this is your cat's playground. I understand that. And that is the clumsiness. That's the humanity that I think for so long we've tried to erase from the business world and say, how do I kind of sanitize all of that so that I always show up really well? And part of what I will say is I spent a lot of my early career trying to be perfect, trying to read the new business book, trying to always be the smartest person in the room. And it was exhausting and it was the wrong way to approach it. And so part of what I've learned is that I've actually been more effective the less that I've spent time trying to do it because I speak from the heart. I speak about things that I, I don't maybe feel super confident about. And I would encourage people to do that more often. 
I think the other side of that, and this is a place where we're continuing to write, is that we have to, all of us, get away from a little bit of the call-out culture and the cancel culture, which is to say, if I approach you with the best of intent and I'm slightly inarticulate in what I say, or I ask you about something, but I do it in a way that's not 100% right, how do you educate me and support me and bring me together and today and like lift me up and be a partner as opposed to saying, oh, Khalil, he got it wrong. Now I'm going to go tell everybody else that he got it wrong because then guess what? I'm never going to try it again. And I will go back to my, my kind of safe space. Um, and so I think it's both sides of that equation. How do we build that capability in our organization? And then how do we also encourage it by allowing people to be vulnerable and allowing them to not have to be perfect? I think that's so well said, and thanks for your vulnerability there. I, too, tried for years to be perfect. Spoiler alert, it didn't work, how hard, no matter how hard we tried. <laughs> nope. anyway, so Everyone so does it. Forever, so y'all tried forever. But I also appreciate your vulnerability and just, just totally building on that. We had a similar, so we've been getting, uh, you can imagine, all these threads right now. So I'm on a CPO thread or CEOs on a CEO thread. Everyone's trying to learn from each other because, exactly as Diane said, there's no playbook for all this. And everyone was sharing all their big wins, right? Like here is awesome, whatever. And I wrote back and I was like, okay, I'm just going to share right now. Our first step on this conversation around racial injustice was not the right one. We had too many people there, too many allies, didn't create enough space for black employees. It made them feel on the spot. It was awkward. The most important thing we do is pivot and get it right and listen and acknowledge that we got it wrong. Not that we got it perfect, make it about ourselves and then champion and pat ourselves on the back on step. And so I encourage people to think about imperfection as actually the goal here. And to, as Khalil said, embrace that clumsiness because what our employees saw was just a deep care and listening when we got it wrong and reacted. And I think that's the most important thing. I also think it's important that we admit when we try something and it doesn't work out because otherwise I think there's the illusion that everyone gets it right. So thanks for sharing that Khalil. Diane, how are you thinking about frameworks? And do you guys use Loom internally to communicate on some of this stuff to help with scarf model and other kind of techniques? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, just a little bit more about Loom. So Loom is video messaging for work. And the kind of key differentiator here is that it is not done in real time. So instead of, you know, sending a long Slack message, writing up a big email on an update on a project, right? You actually talk six times faster than you can type. And so you can send a quick video message and give people those real-time updates. And so um, I think that communication, you know, just to more directly address your question, I think that communication is just absolutely essential and, and vital at this time. Um, as far as frameworks, uh, we are utilizing asynchronous communication. Uh, and really, again, this is just because we have this remote first value at our company. And so we've got all, you know, we're, we're working with people all across different time zones. And we do have a globally just, you know, dispersed workforce. So just to make sure that no one is sort of left behind or in the dark, the, the, using Loom and, and using our own product is really helpful with that. So there might be some delays, right? Again, someone in Australia might be sleeping when we're up right now, but that is okay. And we as Loomates know and are clear on the intention that uh, we have this globally dispersed workforce. Uh, we are a distributed team and that is a part of our culture in, in being remote first. So uh, just kind of being able to allow flexible working hours versus having a set, you know, working hours is also a big part and a big advantage of working remotely um, and making sure that you're writing down there's documentation there's some knowledge sharing happen 
And again, we, we tend to drink our own champagne a bit there where we're, we're recording lots of looms um, to share information versus being, you know, an in-person explanation or having verbal communication, um, which really allows us all to kind of be on the same page, which is helpful. I love that. Thank you for sharing, Diane. One of the things that we've been thinking a lot about is we have a global response team, even just as we think about return to work, but our COVID-19 response team that meets every morning on things. But as we thought about the return to work protocols, how people are experiencing COVID-19 is so different by market and region, right? So for example, our Sydney team is, you know, thank goodness, Australia has done an incredible job of containing COVID-19. And so the impact cases, all that kind of stuff, they're of course worried and concerned and have also been in quarantine, but their return to life and work is likely to be a lot faster than it is, for example, here in Boston or then in Singapore, where they've seen increases and decreases, that kind of thing. So one of the steps we added, and this just kind of plus ones, Khalil's comment about listening, we added a session where all we do is listen to the existing teams. What, how does it feel there? What does it look like? What are the terms? Is there anything we should have, we should avoid? So for example, uh, quarantine right now in Singapore is called circuit breaker. That would not have been the term that I thought of or knew, uh, but it was a good reminder for us on that. Even just things like listening to our Tokyo team that because Prime Minister Abe didn't tell people what to do, very American, instead he nicely asked people uh, to consider staying home for the good of society. And so our messaging there should reflect his leadership, right? And should reflect the culture there. And so I think taking that extra step, sure, it slowed, you know, slowed us down, quote unquote, for a week to take the time to do that. But our teams felt so valued and listened to, and it meant that we got terminology and approaches and that kind of thing better. And so I just think taking the time to listen and then speed up makes a huge difference. And then we use Loom. One of the things, one of our early hypotheses going back to the visibility and accessibility was that you can read through a document about, for example, like travel policy. We will no longer do travel and everyone will work remotely. And if you're reading it in a Google Doc, not that there's anything wrong with that, it can sound inhuman. And so one of the things we've done is used Loom and Zoom more than ever to, you know, I'm talking from my kitchen going, I'm going to be working right here for the next little bit. You all can do the same. It feels more relatable. And if you were someone who has a question about whether or not we have your health or safety top of mind, I think sometimes seeing people at the beginning of COVID-19, one of the things we found was people had way more anxiety about the state of the world than we had even imagined. There was just a lot of fear about the macroeconomic environment, about the disease. So we really tried certainly not to be like smiling and throwing a party, but to convey calm, like we've got this, we've got you. And I think seeing leaders makes a huge difference on that front rather than just you know, reading a doc and feeling like it's a humanless voice on that stuff. So I think that makes a great difference too. Thank you all for your great tips. I think that's fantastic. Let's a little bit about culture. Uh, so some might say, gosh, this is an unprecedented time. This is not the time to focus on culture at all. Who has time for that? We need to keep growing. Uh, this is not the time to talk about this at all. What would you say to leaders about why they should prioritize culture right now? And what have you found has worked in your own organization to maybe not just keep the tough stuff and conversations going, but maybe even to spark some joy, collaboration, uh, unity during this challenging time. Diane, you want to start us off and then we'll go to Khalil? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that culture also is something that is so important right now and maintaining that culture, right? When we're all sort of uh, at this point kind of forced to be remote, right? Like there's uh, an interesting kind of notion where 
if you are making that option or, or giving people that option and you're making that choice to be remote, like that's one thing. But if you're now being forced to be remote, like you really want to reach out, like we've all talked about more than ever to employees and to your team and make sure that, you know, people are feeling valued, people are feeling heard, you know, make sure we're all listening. And so um, I think it's absolutely essential to, to kind of keep that culture intact. Um, I mean, one of the big, you know, just kind of personally too, one of the big reasons why I decided to join Loom is, is uh, I really do believe that like our leadership team, our co-founders, our company just kind of overall is really bought in on having a stellar culture and employee experience, which really does align with my own personal values. So, um, you know, that is something that I feel that I can get behind on and, you know, that I see us actually showcasing every single day. Um, we have an employer advisory group, which is actually new, right? And again, we are pretty early stage. We've only got about 80 employees. And that was actually something that, you know, someone within our company who's been working here for a little while just like raised their hand and just was like, I'm going to start this group. And, you know, I would love for people to be a part of it and surveyed our entire company and, you know, was really thoughtful about making sure that we had a diverse, you know, um, you know, kind of group around the world, like as far as locations, as far as different countries, as far as different functions. And so they meet, you know, monthly, they have a whole charter and a mission and we put on all sorts of different events. Um, a lot of them are, you know, obviously virtual over Zoom at this point. So, um, but that's okay, right? We do happy hours, of course. We do things like we, we've uh, hosted trivia games with different prizes, which actually was really helpful for me as a new person. I've only been here a couple months and just getting some more context around like the history of Loom and the people at Loom, it was really helpful. Um, we've hosted, you know, free meditation classes, you know, talking, talking about mental wellness. Um, we've done hosted yoga classes. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of different things that we've tried just to, again, make sure that we're keeping employees engaged and a part of our, you know, Loom culture and just making sure that we're doing those reach outs. I think that's great. Thanks for sharing. And I think on the meditation side, I think creating intentional space for mental health issues and discussion and giving people tools for it is more than more important than ever. The other question that I tend to get is then on that front, people tend to think of all those things as expensive. So people will say to us like, HubSpot's a public company, so we can't do the programming uh, that you do. And I always say to them, our first event after quarantine was a parent's session. So we basically realized pretty quickly that parents were going to have a tough time in COVID-19 managing childcare. And we had an Irish musician who I wrote to on Instagram and paid via Venmo come and do a session for St. Patrick's Day with kids around the world. And so, you know, for a very small amount of money on a relative basis, we sent a message to people, we care. Music, by the way, is like the ultimate connector of people and humans and giving kids and parents a chance to engage. And so if you're a company who's thinking that sounds great, if you're Loom or NLI or HubSpot and you have a lot of money, I would say some of the best things that we've done have been inexpensive. And to your point on yoga and meditation, there are so many instructors who have been left out of work because they can no longer teach at gyms. And so you have a huge opportunity to give them an opportunity to earn an income and check in with your team. So if you have the opportunity to engage with a huge vendor, that is awesome and fantastic. If you don't, there's probably a local yoga instructor in your community who would love to do a Zoom class. And so I think start small and do something. Khalil, how has the culture at NLI evolved? And then how are you helping your clients think about culture during this crazy time? 
Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer the second one first a little bit because this, I will try not to get too high on a soapbox as it relates to culture, because I think so many of us have heard for decades that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? And we know, we know, we know, we know that you can kind of direct people in whatever direction you want, but if you're not paying attention to the way that you treat your people and the way that they then innovate and, and create and treat their customers and treat each other, all of those things start to fall apart. And so, you know, the, the question for me is what's the alternative, right? When I was very young in my career, my, uh, my mother who managed people for a long time would always say, if you don't treat people well, they will either quit and leave or they will quit and stay. And we know that right now people may not have the opportunity to go to other places, but they do have an opportunity to check out. They do have an opportunity to decide that this isn't a place that I want to give my discretionary effort anymore. And, and the cost to your point, Katie, like they, they don't have to be significant, right? It's how do we talk to our people? How do we treat our people? What are the small things that we do? So to Diane's point, like our chief innovation officer, who's also our co-founder, um, teaches meditation two times a week. Um, we've done trivia nights. Yesterday evening, we did a viewing party because one of our employees just produced a new Netflix documentary around spelling bees. So a bunch of us are on Skype live, you know, live tweeting it, if you will, like, this is amazing. These kids are okay. awesome. My nine-year-old can't spell anything with these kids. I can't spell those words. This is crazy. <laughs> right. And so we're all just coming together to celebrate one of our own and to say the culture matters and we care about you. And this is a moment of of levity and fun amidst everything else that's going on. And if you don't think that that impacts your business, if you don't think that your people are the way that you get things done, then I really struggle with like, how do you run a business? How do you kind of keep people motivated and get the most out of folks? Um, and that goes right to what we talk about with our clients. You know, we talk a lot about being trusted advisors. And I tell my team, being a trusted advisor is sometimes telling people what they don't want to hear. And so if someone is saying, well, can't we cut this? Or do we really need to do that? Part of being a trusted advisor is saying, are you kidding me? Are you, like, do you want me to show you the data? Do you want me to pull up the Gallup polls and the McKinsey polls and the Deloitte polls and the this and the this and the that and every other piece of data that shows that when you invest in your people, you get significant returns. And so to your point around the cost of doing something, I would ask people, what is the cost of not doing something? Because we know that retaining people is difficult. We know that hiring people is difficult. We know that training them is difficult. So keeping them costs you less, engaging them costs you less, and you get way more out of it. Um, so I said I wasn't going to get on my soapbox, and I think I did. I think um, it was worth it. I think that, we were. Yeah, that's a little bit of what we've been doing and, and kind of how we've continued to invest. And again, some of it are the, hey, does anybody here teach yoga? And sometimes they do. Or, hey, does anybody want to lead us in meditation? And sometimes they're like, well, I kind of do it. I'm not really good at it. And you're like, perfect. Yeah, you seem great. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Um, but I think also because, and what you described, I love so much that there are lots of people out there that are out of work that we can do something for them as an organization and do something for ourselves as well. So to give back to the community, to respect people that have a, a talent that maybe is overly impacted or disproportionately impacted by what we're experiencing and say, we're gonna do something that's right for them because that's a part of the fabric of who we are. And we're gonna do this for our employees because that's a part of the fabric of who we are. To Diane's point, that's a place that I wanna work.
I 100% agree with you, Khalil. And I love what you said about, I love your mom's advice on you can quit by leaving or you can quit by staying and really disengaging from your work. Because I think it's such an important reminder. I had a CEO, uh, not our CEO, just to be clear, say to me, uh, because there's so much talent available in the market, I can deprioritize this a little bit more. And I think the exact opposite. This is a time when companies build trust, earn trust, rebuild trust. Uh, and then echoing your point, I need to watch, I just wrote Spelling Bee documentary. I'm going to check that out on Netflix to support your colleague um, and to frankly brush up on my own spelling. But one of my favorite events that we've done here at HubSpot was for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We had a bunch of stuff planned. Some of it was great produced. Some of it had to be you know, canned because we couldn't do it remotely. One of my favorite things was one of our employees did a cooking class, tried to be like Ning Tsai style, making dumplings with his wife on the camera. And it was like, perfect. Like he has a second career. Ming Tsai retweeted his tweet. Like he was like, I have made it like, and I just think it's such a cool way to celebrate your team members. And people love that it wasn't perfectly produced and that it was on her iPhone. It made it more fun. And frankly, for people like me who aren't great cooks to begin with, it made the kitchen less intimidating because if it was some formal class at like a really nice Michelin star restaurant, I probably would have opted out and said, I'll meet you for wine afterwards. And so I think it makes it more approachable. I'm going to get to one more question that I had in our slated questions, and then I'm going to go to questions from the chat. So if you have any, let uh, enter them there. I know we have some good ones coming in. Um, Khalil, you mentioned the good stuff about uh, working from home, which is kids, cats, sharing homes. But it sometimes means that we people can have a hard time unplugging. So how are you thinking about and prioritizing life-work integration? Diane mentioned yoga and meditation, but how are you actively... Um, monitoring how people are disconnecting and keeping an eye on that as part of our your overall strategy. Yeah, so there, there are a couple different things that we've done. Um, and part of that, I mean, at the end of the day, all of it is about making the implicit really explicit because there are so many norms and so many things that we think are um, just the ways of operating and we don't always articulate those things and then people do certain things in response. And so an example of that is um, I tend to get up pretty early. I never did when I was younger. Now I'm up at like six o'clock every day. And that's when I tend to bang through a lot of my emails. I have said to my team, I have zero expectation that you are answering my emails at six or seven or eight or nine. Answer them when you answer them. Um, in terms of our calendars, I have made it very clear to everyone on my team, my expectation is that you have an hour lunch in the middle of your day. I go into people's calendars to check it because they said it's not okay that we feel like everything is just impressing upon us and then we need to just kind of move these things to the side. And so my lunch is not my own. I, I'll just eat at my desk while I'm doing other things. No, that time is important. We know it's important. The science says it's important. We've also started to integrate things that we refer to as zips. Um, so it's a zero interruption period. So people can put that time on their calendar where they've said, listen, I'm gonna shut down Skype. I'm not checking email because I need to be laser focused on the thing that is in front of me. And we know that as humans, we actually don't do multitasking. We do task switching. And so we bounce back and forth between things. And if I'm trying to work on a deliverable for a client, but there's also an expectation that I'm supposed to be on Skype all the time in case Khalil needs me, that task switching robs me of about 40% of my productivity every time I go back and forth. And so again, making some of those things explicit to say, we have a 48 hour turnaround for email, so respond when you want. We have a 24 hour turnaround for Skype, so respond when you need to. If you absolutely positively need me, text me. Right, these types of things in terms of creating a hierarchy and being very deliberate allow people to say, great, 
Hello doesn't expect me to check email at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. And I've also been very honest with my team in terms of trying to demonstrate behaviors. There have been times that I've said, listen, I'm not at 100% today and I'm going to be taking today off. Like, I, you know, I'm sorry, I know I need to move some one-on-ones around. There's like one or two things I do need to take, but on the whole, I need to do this. And I know that that creates space for my team to be able to do it as well. And so again, I think it's just all of these things that sometimes we assume that people know, kind of this curse of knowledge or this illusion of transparency that my team knows I care about them. They know that I want them to get sleep. They know that I want them to spend time with their families. When's the last time you said it? And are you demonstrating it in your behavior? I love that. And I think you're exactly right. You really do have to do it. Just saying it is not enough and assuming that people know they can take that time. We had a bunch of feedback from our employees who felt, yeah, you can say it, but does it actually feel that way? And so we did a whole campaign internally. All of us leaders missed days, missed AMAs, missed big things very intentionally because we wanted to set a tone that not only was it uh, an option, but frankly, that it was imperative. How about you, Diane? How have you prioritized life work integration at Zoom? At Loom? Yeah. Uh, so I do think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, while we have this remote first culture, like we also, you know, again, 50% of us weren't working remotely, we were working in an office. And so I do think it's been a different sort of transition for others where it might have affected others um, a little bit more uh, than the people that, you know, actually, like I mentioned, had the option to work remotely. So, I mean, we all know the downsides and we've definitely heard about the downsides to working from home, you know, workplace disconnection, having some isolation, having some FOMO, um, you know, less FaceTime with your colleagues or just running into, you know, someone and having those side coffee conversations, right? Um, And so I definitely have heard those concerns from some of my colleagues. Um, and I feel them too. So I think it's okay to just say like, hey, I, I understand what you're going through. And like, you know, now this is a transition for all of us that we have to make. And again, having that empathy to to kind of listen and, and hear people out. Um, couldn't agree more with Khalil and, and you, Katie, where it's like, I think sometimes it can be some... Um, you know, management dependent, so to speak, where uh, you really need to make sure you're empowering not only your team, but yourself and really make sure that you're modeling that behavior as well. Um, And just make sure that you're kind of promoting good remote work practices, right? Uh, One of our, you know, core values at Loom is, is leading through transparency, which, you know, I think is very important and, and very helpful in a time like this. And, I, I do feel lucky that we've got that value at Loom just because I think that's really helpful with, you know, things like goal setting, um, things like, you know, putting objectives out there and, and making sure that people know uh, what their goal is, what the outcome should be, what, you know, your deadline might be. But then again, also just saying like, hey, I don't think that I can get to this deadline. Like this week has been really tough for me. And I, I, I really do think that like, you know, is this critical to the business? Can I have some sort of um, room for for potentially extending this, right? And so having those conversations are important. And again, communication is essential too. Um, so yeah, as a, as a manager, as a leader, I think it's really important that you yourself, you know, model the behavior, but you also make sure that you are, you know, talking to your employees face-to-face over Zoom and, and encouraging them to take the time off that they might need, right? Um, I know, you know, even right now with the racial injustices going on, like I've told my team, look, you have a no questions asked policy at this point. If you 
need to take a personal day. There's no need to give me, you know, the two weeks notice at this point, there's no need to, um, you know, it's, it's just essentially no, no questions asked on my side. If you need to take a personal day to go peacefully protest, to go demand action from your local government, if you need to go or just have a personal day to process these emotions on, you know, on your own, like by all means do that. And, and again, no questions asked from my side. It's absolutely something that I want to make sure that my team feels okay and, and can take that time if needed. So what I'm hearing from both of you, which I think are really good tips, is there's some systemic stuff you need to do. So one of it is like the 48 hour and 24 hour response rules. That to me gives me a sense of like, okay, Khalil, I know exactly how I can operate uh, and gives me clarity on that front. And then Diane, I think what you're also saying is it's important as a leader to not assume and bring up the fact, don't make your employees awkwardly come to you and ask if it's okay actively say that to them and that way if they have questions or concerns it's an open door versus assuming they have a voice so actually if that's okay that's where i'm going to start uh, i'm going to start if it's okay with our questions we have a whole ton of them so i'm going to do a lightning round if it's okay and i'm going to ask that we hit on three of them with pretty quick hit answers from each of you and then we'll dive into some of the tougher ones uh, so one was a quick piece of advice if you're an employee who doesn't feel like you have a voice or if you don't feel like your leaders are walking the walk right now what's your quick piece of advice for that employee. So they're a frontline employee. That's my impression. Uh, what's your advice to them? Khalil, you want to start us off? Uh, yeah, find an advocate. Find someone who can be your surrogate in the short term. Great advice. How about you, Diane? I agree. I think it's important to, you know, engage with your other employees. There is power in numbers. So potentially, you know, get an ally, whether that be someone on the front lines with you, whether that be your team, make sure that your voice is being heard. Perfect. Uh, one tip for building a connection with a new employee. So a bunch, a bunch of people said, okay, great. Our, our existing employees are figuring it out. You mentioned some of the things that you guys are doing, Diane. How do you build trust with a new employee quickly or build a connection point so they feel welcome? Some of these people have never been in the office before. They were probably planning to attend new hire orientation. They're doing it all remotely. How do you help them feel welcome? Diane, why don't you start us there? Yeah, just sending a, a you know simple Slack message or sending a Loom, welcoming you know them to the team and saying, "Hey, I just sent you a LinkedIn connection. Would love to be connected. Would love to meet you. If you have time this week, would love to schedule um, you know some time to meet and and more casually have a conversation and see how we might be able to work together." Great, Khalil. Yep, I would reinforce that. Reach out, be helpful, find similarities. Awesome. Uh, last lightning round question, then we'll jump into some of the deeper ones are, are you all doing anything to help employees grow? So not just support employees, not just maintain the status quo, but for example, doubling down on skills, learning, development, opportunities, that sort of thing. Uh, any advice for people thinking about that? Should we just deprioritize that right now? Or should that be something we're thinking about? Khalil, why don't you start us off? Oh, should we deprioritize it? Katie, how dare you? I'm just playing um, devil's advocate. I know, I know, I know you are. Um, no, we shouldn't be deprioritizing it. And I think for, for me, a lot of the growth is through the work that we do. And so being very deliberate about the experiences that people have and the work that we give them is the fastest path to growth. I love that. Diane, how about you? Agree. It's not a time to deprioritize de this. Um, you want to keep your employees as engaged and possible, as possible, and you want to make sure you're continuing to support them. Uh, we have a learning and development reimbursement perk that we give at Loom, $1,500 per year, and I'm very proud to say that it, candidates always, you know, have great positive reactions when I mention that as one of our perks. I think it's a good example. I also think it's a good example that it doesn't have to be some perfect 
thing. So for example, we've done more employee-led communication. So uh, one of our VPs in marketing did a case study on crisis communications that people could read and participate for our director plus. Like we just made it happen because we needed a bunch more context on that stuff. And so I think, again, people always think it has to be some big formal thing. I think it's really nice to do informal, smaller things that prioritize employee growth too. Um, important question that came in was, uh, Acknowledging racial injustice in the workplace can be a touchy subject. How much research should you do yourself before you speak on this? What's the combination and context between learning and doing and speaking on this stuff? So uh, given the nature of the topic, if it's okay, I'll start and then uh, welcome input from both of you. Uh, one of the things that I found is people now, because there's so much happening in this world and people are feeling, frankly, I think a lot of allies are feeling a lot of guilt for not being engaged in this conversation sooner. But as a result, they have a reading list of like 82 books they want to read before they have a conversation on this. And as you might imagine, our black colleagues and friends and other employees of color are feeling like, really? Like, I don't have that time to wait. And so what I encourage people to do is like, it is very important that you do the work. It's also important that you do the work, not just this week, but for many months and years to come. So you have a lot of time to read those books. You have a lot of time to check that out. I encourage you to keep doing that, but don't wait to speak up. Uh, so our chief customer officer said something great to her team, which was, it's really important that you know that silence is not an option here. This is a human rights issue. And so if there's a human rights issue in the world, you wouldn't wait to go, I don't know everything about what's happening here. And I don't know all the details. You would say, this is unacceptable. I need to figure out a way to have a conversation. And so I encourage people to veer more towards action, conversation, and listening than just research right now. But what do you think? Diane, why don't you start? And then I'll go to Khalil. I couldn't agree with you more, Katie. Uh, it's so important. You know, your silence speaks volumes if if you're not, you know, actively engaged in this conversation. And again, you might stumble, and that's okay. We we you know having the conversation is better than not. So, um, from the company perspective as well, I think it's really important that you make sure that your leadership team, you know, and and the company isn't staying silent during a time like this. Um, acknowledging that you and your company, like again, you personally with your team as well, uh, do not stand for what is happening in the world, the prejudice, the injustice, the hatred, uh, the bigotry, you know, actions again, speak loud too. And so, uh, you know, you can give examples as far as what you might be doing to contribute to the problem, or, you know, I think it's important really like at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about listening. I think it's really important to listen right now. I do think it's important for you to make, take a more active step and then really make sure that you're educating yourself. There are lots of resources out there. Um, social is going off, right? So just make sure that you take that time to, to do that. Uh, I personally, you know, just to kind of share what, what I've done is I've mentioned to my team, um, that talent really does stand at the for very forefront of just making sure that we are practicing, you know, acceptance in our obligation to be empathetic, right? Be inclusive, uh, be equitable, and, and, you know, really accepting of all backgrounds. And so I know that my talent team takes this incredibly seriously. I know all roommates take it incredibly seriously. And so just making sure that you also are like, you know, making sure that you have this uh, kind of culture building moment as well with your team and saying like, this is a reminder that this is why we do this every day. And this is a part of our core values. Um, I think that that is, is very important. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Khalil, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the shift in perspective for me is that you need to be really educated. If you are going to go and speak on something, you don't need to be as educated to go and ask about something. 
Um, and so that desire to read all of the books, and there are lots and lots of great ones out there that it's like, I want to get all the terminology right. I want to be able to kind of really nail it. And to me, we do a lot of work around kind of growth and fixed mindset. And I hear the, the kind of the difference between I want to prove myself, which is a fixed mindset, versus I want to improve myself, which is a growth mindset. And so if the desire is to improve, then there's value in saying, hey, listen, I honestly don't know a lot about this. Are there things that you would recommend or are you open to a conversation? Um, and I know sometimes it can be concerning because it feels like, well, you know, if Khalil is one of the only black people in our organization, I know other people are asking him as well and I don't want to overwhelm him. I will say that the vast majority of people of color that I know are eager to have the conversation. They are not eager to put on a master class around what it was like growing up and, you know, all the injustices that they may have suffered, but they are eager to talk about their experience, to, to be there for the allies who are saying, I want to understand and can you direct me and can you help me to understand your experience while recognizing that I don't speak on behalf of every other Black person in America. And so understand kind of what's going on in my space. But I think your point is spot on and, and I appreciate and love the folks that are saying, I, I, I want to get it right. I want to read all these books. I want to really understand it. Um, because obviously, while the, the kind of situations are different, I think Me Too was like that for a lot of men. Where it was like, I want to understand, wow, people have been talking about this thing that has been there for so long. My eyes weren't open to it. And yet, if you experienced it, you couldn't not experience it. It was everywhere. And how did I miss it? How did I not see it? How did I miss out on being there for these really important people around me? And I think that's what we're all experiencing now in another way is, what do you mean this has always been there and I haven't seen it? And in that community, you've talked about it and you've understood how to deal with it. Um, and so there are lots of transferable kind of skills and awareness and, and that feeling of, what did I want people to do when I was in that situation? oh, okay, I wanted them to ask me. I wanted them to listen. I wanted them to take bold action. I wanted them to participate. I didn't want them to go off and read a bunch of books about it and then come help me out two years from now once they're through their reading list. And I think there's just an amazing opportunity to take that, that same feeling and that same action and say, how do we start solving for this so that we can all stop feeling like, hey, in our community, we've been talking about it, but outside of it, nobody knew. That happens by opening up the conversation. I think that what you said is so important, Khalil, and I think it's also important to drive awareness. We had at one of our employee check-ins, one, one of our Black employees described it as, you all feel like an ambulance is going off right now. Like there's so much noise and chaos. And for us, it's been a din. It's almost like white noise when you're on your sleep machine, when you're going, it's just something we live with. It's environmental. And acknowledging that I think is so important. So people have said, one of our Black employees said to me the other day, people keep saying recent events, recent events. Yeah. A, it's not recent events, just, yeah. just for us, I got to say. And B, calling it recent events is in some ways bypassing the issue at hand. Like call it racial injustice, call it Black Lives Matter. Don't say recent events because recent events is just like, ooh, the, you know, like it's the casual way to do the drive-by without having the hard conversation. So I think that's great. Uh, you all have been wonder panelists, attendees. You've been amazing. Questions have been great. I'm going to end with a few uh, pearls of wisdom from these two wonderful folks. So some things that I learned and will take away. Uh, one, you all need to check out the SCARF model on the NLI website. Uh, Khalil does great work in this space and talked about SCARF when he was with us. I think it's really good context to bring into any situation. It applies to the global pandemic. It applies to racial injustice. But it also just gives us structure to think about those conversations. 
I think Diane gave us really good advice on asynchronous communication, especially if yes, people around the world, but also caregivers who maybe are working in the morning like Khalil or working late at night. People who have parents or kids at home maybe getting messages and emailing at different times. So investing in documentation, taking the time to do it. And then I think one thing that was super clear from everything you all said was that caring and listening and communicating and being transparent are more important than ever. So if you're someone listening who's on the fence about whether or not to double down here or step back, I think you all have provided really apt encouragement to do that. So I want to thank Diane and Khalil for your time, your energy, and your efforts, especially during such a crazy time in the world. And I want to thank everyone for being with us today. Adapt 2020, we were unsure about whether or not we were going to continue with this. And I think this space was really important. And I hope that you all take this advice and do something kind for your employees. They need it more. They need all of us more than, more than ever. So please do take care. I hope everyone stays in good health. And thank you, Diane and Khalil, for your time, energy, and effort here. Thanks, thank Thanks you. So much.